Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 128. Thank you for joining us. Today we take you on a virtual college visit of Colby College partner, the Collegium in Hagerstown, Maryland. Dean of Students William Stover joins us to discuss the college's community, curriculum, and spiritual life, along with watchmaking and pretzels. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Hi, Stephen. How are you today? Doing well. How are you, Bonnie? I'm doing all right. Thank you. I'm looking forward to our conversation Today, we're making a virtual college visit to the Collegium in Hagerstown, Maryland, an up-and-coming college grounded in the tradition of the church, focused on sacred liturgy, and built upon an innovative model. Here now to tell us about it is Mr. William Stover, who serves as the Collegium's Dean of Men and Director of Admissions, and as a faculty member. Hello, and welcome to the Colby Cast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be part of this conversation today. Oh, we're delighted to, to meet you and to converse with you. I'm, I'm I've seen a couple of things on the Collegium. I'm really interested to find out more about it. First, though, uh, your CV has several interesting ologies and areas of expertise. Uh, what first piqued your interest in the peoples of the ancient world and their languages, customs, and history keeping? Well, see, as much as I wish there was, there was some great sort of ideological reason that I could give here. I really just sort of ended up where I am because my older brother was an academic um, and he started making me learn Greek when I was eight. <laughs> and so it just seemed like a sort of natural progression that I was going to just continue to read Greek and Latin yep. and history and things. And then when, so when I got to college, it just seemed natural that that's what I was going to keep doing and sort of uh, sort of never, never saw a good reason to stop. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Well, I was going to ask you about the progression from your, from your early interest in these topics to graduate level academic studies looked like, and there it is. So that's that's interesting. So how did you then come to be involved with the Collegium? That, that is also a rather funny story. So I was um, working on my PhD at the time at the University of Virginia, and I was then, as, as now, um, somewhat concerned about the trajectory of modern academia, shall we say. Um, there were a lot of a lot of problems that I didn't see getting better and seemed to have the potential to get much worse. I really loved uh, a lot of what I did. I loved my teaching especially. I loved I loved doing research. Um, but the the sort of cost of admission in terms of the atmosphere I had to be in at a large modern university was starting to look like a price that was a little bit too much to pay. And then when uh when COVID came on the horizon, I knew it was going to be a massive upheaval in the university system. Um, and as somebody who's been subjected to online teaching, both as an instructor and as a student, I am keenly aware of the drawbacks of that model. And so guessing, as was correct, that people were going to be stuck with online teaching for a long, long time. I took leave of my PhD program and decided I was going to, you know, figure out what I was going to do when I grow up. Hmm. So I was sort of uh, bouncing around central Pennsylvania, fixing tractors and stuff. Uh, that's my other hobby is I'm an auto mechanic. Okay. 
and uh, just kind of trying to figure out what to do with my life when I think my mom first mentioned she'd seen something about the uh, the collegium getting started. And at that point, I had no, no desire to hear anything to do with higher education. So I just you know completely ignored whatever she sent me. Never thought about it a second time. Um, and went on that way for over a year until a good friend of mine got in touch with me because she had interviewed and been offered, uh, well, my current job here and had accepted and then had found out that she and her husband were expecting and their due date was the first week of classes. And she thought that that would be a a little bit difficult to juggle uh, first week of classes of a new institution with a newborn infant. And so she harassed me until (laughs) I agreed to talk to Dr. Schaefer, who she had had interviewed with and gotten the job from. So I uh, sent him an email and then had a phone call with him and then drove down to Hagerstown to to meet with him. And yeah, before too long, in fact, I think in the space of less than a week, I was, uh, yeah, I'd been offered a, offered a full-time position here and yeah, it's sort of, that's, uh, that's how it all started. And yeah, I'm still, still here, still trucking away. Wow. Okay. That was meant to be, wasn't it? It all came together. Yeah. So when you meet folks who haven't yet heard about the Collegium, how would you describe it to them? Well, usually I um, try to lay out just the skeleton framework. It is a small, which at least to me, that's a good thing, uh, very newly opened liberal arts program grounded in the Catholic tradition that seeks to provide a place for uh, families of... uh, a strong Catholic background, particularly those from the homeschooling community of which as you, in case you couldn't have guessed, I was myself homeschooled. Oh, okay. That comes through a lot. I feel like, especially once I started talking about learning Greek when I was eight, um, <laughs> yeah, a place for families, particularly those from the homeschooling community can feel confident in sending their children to receive not only a education, but also a, formation along the way to adulthood because at a certain point you know you didn't you need to start living away from the home you need to get some experience having some of your own responsibilities and having to keep your own schedule and things and so we're trying to provide a place that parents can trust that their children will be in an environment that is wholly and integrally catholic while they receive a good education and also start to work out that process of transition from being a kid into being a functioning, well-formed Catholic adult. Great. Okay. I'm going to come back and ask you for some more specifics on that here in a little bit. Our listeners may have caught their recent webinar by Dr. Edward Schaefer, whom you've mentioned. He's the founder of the Collegium. Or they may have seen Dr. Schaefer at last year's virtual college fair that Colby hosted. In case not, we'll have links to those in our show notes. In those presentations, we heard about the unique way the school is set up to house, feed, and form students. The juxtaposition of that with the commitment to tradition and the unique curriculum is really interesting to me. Could you take us through some of the aspects of the school's setup that tends to the temporal needs of the students and the community that you're forming? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad you sort of used the the trigger word there of community, because that's <laughs> that is sort of uh, my particular area of responsibility okay. as dean is sort of making sure that uh, the community side of things is functioning as it should. And so, 
we all live um, here in the same building. This is uh, currently, yeah, currently broadcasting from what is a renovated hotel right in downtown Hagerstown um, that's been turned into apartments and other use spaces. So we all live together. Um, there's a, a men's wing and a women's wing. And then, uh, well, I actually live in the stairwell because as oh. the dean of students, um, any any student has to be able to come knock on my door. And so I can't live over in the men's wing or else women couldn't, you know, if there was an emergency, oh, gotcha. they couldn't come knock on my door. So there's one apartment that's right off the stairwell, which is where I live. <laughs> okay. And so, yeah, so we, um, we really strive to integrate the spiritual, academic, and social activities of the students to sort of build upon one another. So we live together, you know, we see each other all the time. Uh, we eat our meals together. Um, we have a, quite a few activities and trips we try doing, uh, doing together that combine both an educational element with just, you know, it's nice to, it's nice to go see something cool. You know, I love museums or, uh, uh we had a trip to Antietam battlefield recently. Um, so we try to provide opportunities for the students to do things together that are both educational, but also fun. And that is one advantage of having a, a small, a small institution is that it's relatively easy to, you know, plan the logistics on that sort of thing. We eat all our meals uh, together. There are a few uh, days like Sunday nights, the students voted that, uh, Nobody wanted to all come together for a meal Sunday night. So Sunday nights are the nights people eat leftovers usually. Okay. Um, <laughs> but in general, we eat all our meals together in community, um, just like a, sort of a, a Benedictine monastery. But we do get to talk during meals. So there's, okay. there's, we, don't, we don't have to sit in silence while the reader reads. <laughs> um, we obviously have the, uh, the office. We have lauds in the morning and vespers in the evening in community, um, just up the block at St. Mary's church, which is a beautiful old Catholic church here in Hagerstown. Um, so what we're really, yeah, what we're really sort of trying to do is to bring the students together, not just for, you know, for class and then never really interact with each other outside of that. What we really want to do is we want the students to learn how to, you know, live in community with other people who come from different backgrounds and different places and get, a, get along with each other, learn how to take initiative and plan things with each other, which is something I've been really impressed with this year, that the students have taken a lot of initiative and in putting together a plan of like, you know, we were talking, this is a thing we would like to do, you know, can you help us facilitate that? And I'm more than happy to do that. So it's sort of, it's all part of the process of getting these students growing in confidence and sort of growing in maturity and learning how to take initiative on things, how to work with other people and how to, yeah, sort of continue on that process of becoming adults. This is connecting for me a little bit weird when you started talking about how you're kind of seeing a lot of modern academia doesn't really work completely well. And you know, looking at, at the collegium and seeing how innovative it se you seem to be there as far as I mean, like the community that you're talking about, which of course you can't do in a huge, huge university, but, but, you know, low tuition that you've, you've, I saw on your, your website there and yeah, some of the different work experiences that you're, you're offering or the, the volunteer experiences that your students have as well. It, so what was the vision that brought about this, this kind of different model than, than what you typically see? I'd say there's sort of two 
two answers to that uh to that question uh on the one side of things one of our sort of driving desires in the in the creation of this institution is to keep it affordable because i i'm sure i don't need to you know tell you guys the just absolute crisis that is uh educational cost in this country it's just absolutely unhinged and we know um that it's something parents worry a lot about particularly parents who do have you know large catholic families it can be a you know major major sort of dark cloud looming on the horizon of how are we going to pay for education for our children and so keeping the cost as low as we possibly can has been a sort of a guiding principle from day one and so part of that is that we're planning on staying small because there's a sort of administrative costs don't don't rise equally with size. There's a certain point you reach where they start to really outpace the size in terms of their proportion. And so we're planning on staying under that threshold. And then with things like the work program, um, not only does that bring in some money to help offset the tuition, but it also um, serves the purpose of getting the students out there involved in you know, all sorts of different settings, office settings, or uh, depending on what kind of work they do in the work program, it gives them some experience working out in the world and experience that could be really valuable for them, depending on what they choose to do after college. Because I know just thinking of my own, uh, my own experience, having spent at this point far too long in universities, I saw a lot of people who graduated college and had never really matured in the slightest. They had no idea how you went into a workplace, how you sort of collaborated or cooperated with people you just worked with. They they really had never learned how you do these things, which are pretty important parts of being an adult. And so that's another sort of reason for uh, the way we've structured it with the work program is it gives students a sort of safe and controlled introduction into that life, professional life in the outside world. And in some cases it can do really well. So one of our students, unfortunately, uh, Due to some changing family circumstances, had to uh, had to drop out. But he he actually is now working full time for the uh, the company that he had done his work program with while he was a student because he'd really he'd really liked the work. He'd gotten he'd found that he was very comfortable and did really well in the office setting he was in, and he's now working full time for them. And so that's a great. Obviously, it would have been nice if he hadn't had to to drop out to work full time and could have finished first, but that's a very good outcome to see that a student is able to then parlay that experience they get with our work program into an actual full-time career. I saw that there's even opportunities for watch building there, which might be- Yes, Hagerstown has a watchmaking uh, school and workshop that does the, uh, they do the warranty repairs for a bunch of major watch companies right here in Hagerstown. And so, yeah, we do have students who are learning, learning watchmaking and working in the watchmaking repair center, which I'm honestly a little bit jealous of because, you know, as somebody who likes move, moving parts and gears and things, that sounds awesome. It's right up yeah. your alley. Well, they really are doing all sorts of stuff in the community. It's uh, really intriguing to me how they're doing all sorts of different types of work and and it's the opposite of being really insulated on a campus, never never stepping foot off the campus to to see what life is like on the outside, so to speak. That really is fantastic that it gives them that opportunity and experience. Yeah, I think I think it's it's important um, that students are able to have that in a safe and sort of controlled way because on the one hand, 
they are, you know, students are still, you know, they're, they're still kids and they, they should have a sort of safe home environment type thing at school that they can, you know, withdraw to when they, when they want to, but you don't want them just in a bubble. Like you said, you do want them sort of starting to reach out beyond that home environment and learning how to, how to work and operate outside of it. Cause like, I know for me, I never, the only reason I ever left my college campus was to go to the good Chick-fil-A, which was off campus, the one on <laughs> campus, not good. <laughs> and, and, and so, um, uh, I think it's important that students are, uh, given the opportunity in a sort of gentle way to start to expose themselves to the broader world and learn and learn about how you how you operate in a career setting in an office setting or in a watchmaking setting depending as the case may be yeah i'm curious to hear uh, more about your curriculum too as well and kind of what are what's the I know I, I saw some great music stuff in there as well, and along with some books I recognized about Holy Scripture and things. But, but yeah, what are some of the highlights of your your curriculum so far? Well, the the real highlight will be once I finally succeed in my coup and get Greek added to the curriculum. But that <laughs> that, that hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened yet. But stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, so our curriculum follows um, the very traditional elements laid out over the past 1500 years of the sort of Western liberal education. So it starts out with the, uh, the trivium, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, the sort of elements you need to learn how to do anything else. Um, you have to, cause if, if you can't sort of deduce ideas and analyze ideas and talk about them, it's really hard to then learn a, any sort of more, advanced subject if you don't know how to learn how to you know evaluate an idea for its truth or its falsity it's really hard to move on to advanced topics so the students start out with the trivium grammar logic and rhetoric alongside uh the more uh i suppose you would say explicitly catholic parts of the curriculum uh which would be our sequence in the old and new testament and catholic inter and sort of the catholic way of studying and interpreting the old and new testament then there's a sequence in the humanities. So starting from the culture of ancient Greece, moving all the way up to, uh, to modern culture. And in those courses, uh, which I'm in charge of, I try to sort of strike a balance between just reading literature and just talking about the history. Because I think both of those are important because there are courses where you never actually read any primary sources. And I think that's a, that's a problem. You never sort of get to see how the, people you're talking about in the in history really thought or felt or expressed themselves. I think that's a deficit. On the other hand, I've seen courses where all they do is read primary literature. And so they may be really familiar with specific works of literature, but they have no idea the historical context or the historical forces that gave rise to that moment in history. So I try to strike a balance there and guide the students through not only the events of history, and the trajectory, the currents through history, how one thing has led into another to lead up to, well, right now we're doing Rome, so we're kind of leading up to the establishment of the church, um, but also give them insight into specifically the, the, the real personalities of people in the ancient world so that they can uh, sort of understand the workings of providence in history and how specific people did specific things that they might not have understood at the time, but which have ultimately been brought together for good to lead to the, uh, you know, the triumph of Christianity in the West. 
And then um, in addition, let's see, yeah, music history. That's that's a big one since the, uh, of course, the musical, the musical tradition of the church has always been such an important and vibrant part of our, you know, ecclesiastical life as Catholics and our worship. That that's something we we think students should have a, a solid grounding and appreciation for. Even as lay people, they should understand the how music has been so influential in shaping the liturgy and in shaping the way the church has performed its work. Then let's see, we have Latin, um, which I do the upper level uh, Latin courses. So right now we're uh, we just finished up some Saint Jerome, and we're about to do some. Uh, some Augustine, and we're going to compare the way that those two fathers thought about reading pagan literature. Since then, over in my Rome course, that's exactly what we're doing. So, so we're gonna we're gonna look at what some of the different fathers thought about how Christians should approach those sorts of things. And that takes me on to sort of the big the big picture of our curriculum is that we like we are trying to make everything integrated and connected, rather than sort of a bunch of individual boxes that each topic goes into and there's walls between them wherever we can, we like to draw them together into conversation with each other. And sometimes that's obviously easier than other times, like Latin and the church music side of things. Those are very, very easy to sort of draw a lot of connections to. And then Latin and say my current Roman civilization course is pretty easy, but we try to, we try to utilize the the things they're learning in say logic and grammar when we talk about the ideas and the texts in the ancient in the ancient history courses and we try to really we try to get them to start making these connections on their own and taking the different parts of the curriculum and bringing them together with a small group there is it is it a one set curriculum where you're guiding students throughout these yeah so like uh like saint john's or uh thomas aquinas or one of those yeah it's a set curriculum that all the students do with the language, with the language classes, Latin, we have some leeway. So if a student comes in with a um, a large amount of Latin that would put them well out of their sequence, um, we'll, we're perfectly willing to set up a small independent study seminar with uh, with upper level students who've already had sufficient Latin that they can sort of start engaging with things much more uh, much more seriously and at a higher level. Um, but outside of that, yeah, everyone's sort of on the same track like a perfect area for your Greek, those students who come in already knowing Latin well. That's right, yeah. I think Colby students would find a lot of, uh, they'd find that to be somewhat familiar, the way their progression through the high school courses and even the preparation for those earlier years in in Colby as well, the integration among the subjects, that is very much something that Colby strives for as well in the emphasis on primary sources in placed in context like you're talking about so I, it sounds like it would be a continuation of, of in many respects of of how of colby students are accustomed to approaching their their academic work yeah yeah no and it's it's just it's a i think it's a definitely a superior way of sort of moving through an educational program is when when things are able to be sort of linked together not just a lot of a, a lot of disparate topics that don't interact i was i was very fortunate when i went to college i um was able to get into a program which exempted me from almost the entire uh, core of gen ed requirements. And so I took pretty much exclusively the classes I wanted to take. And so most semesters I was taking all my classes in the same department, um, which was, it was nice because I was not only sort of seeing the same faculty each day and really developing good sort of personal relationships with the faculty, but it was uh, sort of 
you know, going from reading Cicero to going into a class on the late Republic. And it was all sort of, they were all close, close together. And I, I found that each individual class was really enhanced by the fact that the rest of my classes were in a similar vein. I'm a Thomas Aquinas College graduate myself, so I'm a, I'm a fan of that integrated in the, the one curriculum. And for me, that's the that's the way to really the way to do it with liberal arts, because when you're trying to get the student to think for themselves, you don't want to tell them necessarily you should think this about each of these books, but it seems like it's the role of the teacher to present things in the proper order and to, you know, guide them so that they can come to that knowledge for themselves. So I think that's that seems to me the perfect way to do it when you're when you can set up all of those things and they're just the truth is just screaming at them then from up from every direction. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. Well, you've alluded to it somewhat already, but let's talk a bit about the musical life of the school. I imagine Dr. Schaefer's background in classical and sacred music plays, pardon the pun, sorry, a significant <laughs> role in, the, in, the aspect of the, in that aspect in particular of the Collegium. What else can you tell us about the musical life there? Well, I will, I will admit that this is, sort of, this is sort of my weakness and that I am a profoundly unmusical person. Okay. Um, so I, I don't actively, uh, I don't sing in the scola or any of that, which I think everyone should probably be grateful for. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we have, we do have a, a, a scola, which uh, currently at our local parish, St. Mary's, which is the home of the, uh, the Latin mass for Western Maryland, we alternate off weeks between our scola and the parish scola. So every other week, our scola does the, does the liturgy there at St. Mary's. Um, we, we also sing for, you know, when we have uh, masses for feast days, and obviously Scola and the music history classes are sort of very closely uh, linked in the thing, in the things they're doing. Um, but yeah, music is definitely something that is taken very, very seriously and encouraged. We encourage not just, you know, liturgical music, but we also have a number, a number of our students are, uh, are quite proficient at various instruments. And so we, uh, we facilitate wherever we can them getting opportunities to advance that. So, um, We've helped students set up lessons with uh, with people for their various instruments because Hagerstown actually has quite a lot of resources in that regard. Because we have a we have a symphony orchestra, the only one anywhere in this part of Maryland. Um, there's a lot of musical things going on in this city. We actually have a very beautiful restored downtown theater that hosts musical performances, and so it's brought a lot of musicians to the area. And so we help students access those resources if they so choose and encourage them to sort of cultivate their musical skills. But yeah, the, definitely the, the, the sort of the, the crowning, the crowning thing is definitely the, the liturgical music as, as I think it probably, probably should be. <laughs> but yeah, that is one thing that I greatly regret that I'm not heavily in, sort of involved in simply due to uh, yeah, a profound and utter lack of musicality. Well, that was going to be my question. Does one need to be a trained musician to attend the school? No, like no, not. we do not. We have some students who have uh, who just do not do not sing and do not okay. do not involve themselves in the scola. Um, but I think most most of our students seem at least to have some interest in music. But it is not a yeah, it is not an entrance requirement, which I'm very happy about, or else I wouldn't <laughs> be working here. I'm sure they come away with an appreciation for it, though, whether or not they. Uh, contribute to it vocally they can there's a, certainly a need for that as well yeah and of course we um our our lauds in the morning and vespers in the evening are all sung 
And mm-hmm. so they're they're being exposed to the musical tradition of the church every day. Nice, nice. So the academic and musical aspects of student and community life are two important parts, as you've been telling us. But the Collegium's focus is on liturgy and spiritual formation. So how would you describe the spiritual life of the Collegium? Actually, currently, I have some very good news to share in that regard. Um, so up to this point, we have been uh, very, very blessed by the generosity of the pastor of our local parish, which is just a block away, who's been helping us out. He's been sort of on an ad hoc basis performing the functions of chaplain for us. But starting next year, we should be having our own chaplain. We had a, a, a very gracious meeting with our bishop, who um, sort of gave us the go ahead to start looking for a chaplain and planning out how that would work. Um, so we should soon have our own our own priest uh, who will be our chaplain, which will be very good because, well, um, we're incredibly grateful for the the generosity of time of our local pastor, but you know, he's a, he is a busy man with his own parish and school. And so uh, it'll be, it'll be good to have, have some extra, some extra help for him in that regard. And so the, there's going to be a lot of sort of, I would say uh, expansions of the opportunities we have here. So we would like eventually, um, Hopefully next year we're going to start having daily mass available. Right now we have the we have the Tridentine mass available on Sundays and on all the feast days, and but only on some days depending on Father's schedule. So we should in the future be having it every day. We're hoping to have expanded times for confession and, God willing, uh, hopefully sort of a school adoration hour every week. Uh, we're plan- we're hoping to uh, to put into effect once we have our uh, once we have our chaplain set up. So very, it's very much, uh, it's very much a work in progress since we're so, we're so new, but good things are happening. And we're very, very blessed to be here in Hagerstown where there are opportunities already existing, um, in the, for the liturgical life and for the spiritual development of the students. As I said, our local priest has been absolutely wonderful to us, but yeah, in the future, we're going to be sort of taking a little bit more of the, the reins of that with acquiring a chaplain. I don't know if acquiring is the right word. That sounds like just sort of go pick one up and you know put them in the trunk, bring them back. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so we're um we currently have a good situation with regard to the liturgical and spiritual life, but it's a situation that should be getting even better soon um, once we're able to get that off the ground. Eventually, um, depending on you know how uh, how the the future prognosis and how we grow, we may eventually look into having sort of our own space, our own chapel. Um, but right now, we're welcome to use uh, St. Mary's Church, which, as I said, is just a block away and is a very beautiful old church. I think it was built in the 1820s, and so it's a great, it's a wonderful liturgical home for us right now. And we're very, yeah, we're very grateful to have it. And in the future, we may look at starting to. Uh, invest in our own sort of liturgical space. But for the moment, there's just sort of no reason for that. And to sort of harken back to what we were saying before in terms of our interest in keeping the costs down, when when something's working well at the moment, you know, we don't want to devote resources to replacing it if it does not yet have really need to be replaced. There's something really beautiful too about that opportunity to be part of the local Catholic community where there there's things they can I'm sure bring to support your students and the students are probably bringing this great new life to the parish and you know or, or additional new life to the yeah parish, no abso- but... absolutely I I 
feel exactly the same way. And yeah, we have we have students who are doing volunteer work uh, in the parish. Um, but yeah, and so I think that is actually, like you said, a very a very powerful opportunity there for the students to sort of be involved and invested in a local parish community, which I think is really important and is something that not everyone is sort of was given the opportunity to do in their life. Definitely. I understand there are several students who were homeschooled among your current students. And you mentioned that earlier also that you have had homeschooled students in mind as well as you guys were. Yeah, it's, it is a, currently the majority. Okay. You've addressed this in several ways, but I'll go ahead and ask it in case there's something new you want to bring to this. What would a Colby student like about the Collegium and how would the school help a formerly homeschooled student transition to more independent living? It's certainly a question that could, uh, could go in a variety of directions because as, as a homeschooler myself, as you know, homeschooling is, you know, far from a sort of monolithic thing. There's right. a lot of, there's a lot of shades of variety in how people have gone about it and what their experiences are. And so I'll just sort of answer it from my own perspective, from my own homeschooling background. Okay. In my experience, a lot of homeschooling kids are used to a high level of self-direction. Um, they're used to having some, uh, having the opportunity to sort of take their own initiative on things and plan out things that they want to do and pursuing their own sort of interests and goals. And I think that this is a great environment for that because while our curriculum is very set and, you know, follows that traditional model of the Western liberal arts, the rest of our sort of community life, as I said, really encourages a lot of initiative on the part of the students and a lot of planning of the of what they want to do and what their interests are rather than simply sort of telling them you know this is this is what your activities look like we encourage them to go out and find things that they're interested in, and then we do our best to facilitate them pursuing those interests on their own and the same thing applies to our uh, to our work program we uh, give students a lot of input in the types of jobs available at the work program um, we do uh, the sort of preference sheets where people put down, you know, their first and second and third preference. And so not everyone gets, you know, their first choice, but everyone gets something, you know, something they had, uh, something that they'd expressed an interest in and are interested in, you know, potentially pursuing further on. And in addition to that, here in this, uh, the Hamilton Hotel, the renovated hotel we live in, um, these are very much not sort of standard dorms. As somebody who lived in standard dorms, I'm very grateful for that fact. Um, <laughs> these really are sort of full apartments. And so they have kitchens. And so we encourage students that, you know, certainly we we love to see everyone at meals and that community time. But this is also a good opportunity for students to learn a little bit about, you know, living on their own. And so sometimes the students will, you know, two or three students will get together and decide they're going to they're going to cook something or they're going to, they're going to bake. They're going to have some sort of a, you know, some sort of social thing on their own. And that's, that's great. That's the type of thing that we, we like to see. We like to see the students taking initiative in planning out their own activities and interests with each other, rather than simply relying on a sort of a, a program that's handed down from above. Because once you reach adulthood, there's very, very, infrequently a you know sort of comprehensive program of this is what your day looks like you're sort of responsible for going out and planning how you're going to manage your time and so we encourage the students to think a lot about that think how they're spending their time how they're prioritizing you know homework and their work programs and if they are uh, interested we uh 
encourage students to um, to work more uh, more hours than they're required to. They're required to work eight hours, one shift a week at their work work programs. But some students really like the job and work out with the employer to actually work more hours to start earning some money. Um, which we think that's that's great. That's a a good example of the sort of initiative and the transition to adulthood that we like to see among our students. And so for me, as a coming from the homeschooling background, I was really self-directed. Like I had my own, I had my own business while I was homeschooled when I was 15. I made uh, traditional German baked goods and sold them at farmer's markets. That sounds good. And so, yeah, so the, so at least looking at my own experience, this is the type of place where we really encourage that kind of initiative of students going out and deciding how they want to spend their time. And as long as they're accomplishing what they need to do and, you know, being attentive to their their studies and their commitments, we really encourage them to sort of go out and explore how they want to spend their time and how they want to pursue their interests. And so I think for a lot of homeschoolers who are used to a sort of level of self-direction and responsibility, this is a really good opportunity for them to sort of open and broaden out the realm within they, which within which they can exercise that responsibility as they grow up and mature. Sure seems like an incremental approach from from their home to this setup that has so many similar structure and the the community aspect and you know the family dining style and so many aspects of that but rather than sort of a just a full-on release and here you go <laughs> yeah larger, exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly so we 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 want to be here as a sort of you know home and support system for the students but we don't want the students to just you know be in there you know, their apartments all day. We want them to be out learning and experiencing and doing. It sounds like Hagerstown is a very walkable area where you guys, all the, the locations that you utilize for your various things are within close walking distance, right? Yeah. So um, we have the the Hamilton Hotel here, which is our, our home base and where we live. And then just one block away is St. Mary's Church. And like a half a block away is the University of Maryland at Hagerstown, where we lease all our academic space from, okay. uh, which is a, a very up-to-date, modern academic building. Um, so we, our classrooms are state-of-the-art. We have the, the smart boards and everything, which as, a, as like a you know, uh, blackboard and chalk kind of guy, I'm still getting used to like the very, very high level of classroom technology. Um, but yeah, it's all very, very compact right within... Uh, the center of downtown Hagerstown. Nice. We have spoken about several aspects of, of the day-to-day life for the students. Is there a typical day in the life that you could describe for them? So we, uh, our, our classes start at 8.10 in the morning. Um, oh, before I get there. So our class schedule works on a um, Monday, Thursday, Tuesday, Friday cycle. So there are no classes on Wednesdays. Hmm. So on Wednesdays, a lot of students choose to do their whole weekly work requirement on Wednesday, um, but they don't have to. We leave it up to the the student and the employer to work out how they want to do that. So many students choose to just do Wednesday, do all eight hours. Others will do you know a few hours every afternoon throughout the week, um, and that's perfectly fine. We leave that up to their own their own planning. Um, but on the non Wednesday days, classes start at eight or eight ten actually. And then following that is Lauds over at St. Mary's. And then there's another class and then lunch and then another class. And gen- so generally the day wraps up at about 2.15. On some days there's Scola practice 
after that. And I think on one day, there's another class after that, maybe two days. I don't teach though that last one. So it's outside, out, out of sight, out of mind for me. Uh, okay. <laughs> I know that my, my teaching day finishes at 2.15. Okay. <laughs> ben, so we like, we, we try to leave a big sort of space in the middle of the day for students to either do their work programs if they're interested, or just a time that if they, you know, want to walk over to city park, um, they could do that. Or if they, you know, want to, go to the grocery store, run errands or whatever. We, we like to leave a big a sort of big space in the afternoon for students to do things that they might need to do or just start on the homework. I know I certainly never would have started on my homework at 2 p.m. in college, but you know, maybe some people are more responsible than I was. Who can say? <laughs> um, and then at 5.15, we, uh, we all gather for the rosary and vespers. And then immediately following that is dinner. And then that sort of, wraps up the schedule for the day. Some evenings we'll have a, some sort of group activity we'd facilitated. So on a Monday night, we drove outside of town and we, somebody loaned us a telescope so we could look at the Jupiter at its closest point to earth. And so, yeah, everyone piled into some cars and we drove outside of town after dinner on Monday. So sometimes there'll be some sort of optional activity we've put together, or sometimes the students will have something they've put together they're all watching a movie or you know nice. playing doing a ping pong tournament or something like that um but generally yeah the day sort of ends after dinner and students are then free to their own uh their own devices which usually seems to involve homework yeah that sounds like a nice day so as we are wrapping up are, are is there anything that we haven't yet talked about that you wanted to Hmm. Let's see. We talked about the work program, which for me anyway, is a, is a really sort of unique and important part of the experience here. Um, I don't, nothing, nothing especially is coming to mind. Um, we talked about the curriculum and the, the student life, um, which on the note of activities, I do, uh, I do sometimes sort of break out my, my old long dormant skills and do uh, like uh, traditional German baked good nights with the students. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I made a bunch of uh, traditional Bavarian pretzels and uh, my fiance actually drove down here and we had a sort of little open house in my stairwell apartment and uh, the local priest from the church came over and it was nice to just have the, the students get to sort of spend time in a more relaxed setting, both with uh, you know, their pastor as well as with some of the faculty. That sounds wonderful. Eating pretzels, which makes everything better. Definitely. Yes. yes. Homemade ones. Wow. What a treat. So if families listening have students who are interested in finding out more about checking out the school, uh, what's the best way for them to accomplish that? Well, I think the, be the best sort of the best thing you can do is if you are interested is um, try to come out for a visit. We're very happy to have uh, to have visitors. We've already had already had several this school year so far. And uh, depending on, you know, where, where you're located, um, that can be a, a multi-day thing. We've had students stay for as long as I think three days and, you know, they stay in a, in one of the apartments with other students and they really get sort of the full experience of going to the classes and prayer and meals and really seeing what the days actually look like. And that sort of, I think is the best, the best exposure they can get. In fact, I think, I think all but one of our current students did, did a sort of long uh, multi-day visit last year. Um, 
and ended up liking it so much that they they came here. Um, so I think visits are definitely the best, but obviously, uh, you know, depending on where you are, that could be somewhat difficult. So we're always happy to talk on the phone. Uh, we can set up a sort of Zoom with not only not only me, but the other the other faculty to sort of give a more uh, a more broad base for answering questions. Um, and if there are sort of specific just specific is issues people have, like questions about application stuff, um, we always monitor the uh, the contact form on the website, so you'll get a response very quickly if you have a very specific direct question. But yeah, just in general, reach out to us, and we're very happy to work with whatever uh, whatever people need to uh, get the information that they want. And if that if they can visit, that's great. We highly encourage it. We love having we love having company. So yeah, just uh, reach out to us, and if you have questions, concerns, and we are more than happy to address them. And yeah, hopefully hopefully see you at some point for a visit. That sounds great. That sounds great. Well, our show notes for this episode will have links to the Collegium website, as well as to the webinar and college fair presentations that I mentioned earlier, and a link to an episode of the Square Notes podcast on which Dr. Schaefer was a guest talking about some fascinating aspects of chant. We sure have enjoyed our time visiting with you, William, and thank you for coming to talk to us about the Collegium today. And we wish you guys continued success as, as your school continues to grow and a great rest of your school year. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this today. And yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully I'll hear from some of your listeners because I, I like to talk. So I'm always, I'm always <laughs> down for people contacting me. <laughs> Sounds good. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.